Hello, Hi Rock, and welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the book of Isaiah, and today we are going to be in chapter 58. We're going to skip over 57, and I'll, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but we're going to be in chapter 58 today. And Michael, if you would read for us, that would be wonderful. Hear the word of the Lord. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want me to be near. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day, and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, this is uh, a very powerful uh, passage, and it's a culmination of a, a longer discussion uh, that God has been addressing to the people. And it's part of the reason we're skipping uh, chapter 57. Chapter 57, I think, covers some of the themes that we've already addressed. And it's part of this longer discussion about the nature of true religion, which I think culminates here in Isaiah 58. Back in Isaiah 57, God addresses things like uh, the false and dangerous spirituality that comes from idolatry and, and paganism their nature worship and mountaintop experiences might uh, feel good, but it's like they're treating their inner experience as if that is God speaking to them when God is speaking clearly to them uh, through uh, the prophets and the, the writings of scripture. But here in chapter 58, we see um, an even more dangerous kind of false spirituality. And I think it's more dangerous because it looks like real spirituality. It, and it's exactly the kind of false spirituality that Jesus had to fight when dealing with the Pharisees. So in verse two and three, uh, what is the nature of this uh, uh, false spirituality that looks like real, real spirituality? Well, they, the people, come to the temple every day. They seem delighted to learn 
all about me. So there, there is a, a studying of the word. There's a coming in the presence of God. There's even um, a time of worship that going to the temple would involve teaching and singing. Uh, and then they ask me to take actions on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? So they're doing all the things, doing all the things, right? They're doing all the things that um, seem to be real religion. But in the end, the heart of, of their uh, worship is, is shown very clearly here when God says they pretend that they want to be near me. That is the heart of worship, is to truly draw close to God. And that is what is missing in the things that they do. The actions that they're doing in that religious context are not necessarily bad. In fact, they can be really good things, but not if the heart of it is missing. And that's that's the problem is that they're pretending that they want to be good. Like, you know, giving somebody a gift, for instance, like if you give your wife or your kids or your, your parents a gift, um, that can be a wonderful thing that expressive, expresses love. But if it's just something you're doing that you don't care about them at all, you're just doing it to get them to do something for you, well, that kind of manipulative action would not only not be well received as a gift, but it would be kind of a violation, uh, an, an insult of that to that relationship. I think um, someone who's close to you would be very insulted by that kind of a gift. But the Israelites don't seem to realize that here. They they want the gift. They don't want the giver. And so they fail to learn the lesson of their father, Abraham, who, who learned that God is his very great reward. God is the real reward. You know, um, as I think about this, about wanting the wrong thing and and not even desiring the right thing, I think about how um, when I was a kid and we visit our our grandparents uh, during holidays like Thanksgiving or Christmas time, and uh, the adults would sit around the table after dinner and just having conversations and laughing and all this. And, and I remember, you know, going into the other room, playing with Legos and other toys and thinking that. I never wanted to grow up because what the parents did for fun just seemed really, really boring. Like I would never want to do that. Like I, what, I didn't have the maturity and, and, and depth to understand that this connection with other people would become really deep and rewarding. And, you know, similarly, uh, we, when approaching God, if we, if we look at people who are truly worshiping God and, and giving their lives to God, and we don't see the appeal to that, maybe it's just like, you know, when I was a kid and I needed time to grow up in order to truly appreciate the thing that was far more, more valuable. Not that toys are bad, like to toys are fun, but they're a poor substitute for uh, real relationships. Uh, anyway, God points out what are the what's the essence of the real kind of religion that he wants to see. It's not that these other things are bad, but they're supposed to be forming this heart within you. And he says, even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? And God says in verse six, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. I want you to free the oppressed, the, the wrongly oppressed. I want you to lighten the burden of those who are working for you. Uh, let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. And then God says, verse eight, then your prayers will be answered. You want me to answer your prayers? Well, these are the kinds of things, the kind of actions that would show that you have the real kind of heart that I want to reward. Um, God adds on in, in verse nine, uh, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop. And I love this one. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. I think that's a word that we need to hear today. There are so many of us that need to hear this, especially in the age of social media and the polarized politics that we have, that we need to learn to stop 
pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors that God holds us accountable to this. Feed those, the, feed the hungry, help those in trouble. He says, then your light will shine out uh, from the darkness. So even these things like uh, helping the oppressed and all that, if we're doing them simply to manipulate God, again, it's, it's a sign of the problem. Like when Paul says, you know, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels, if I give everything that I have to the poor, if I give my body over to be burned, like if I make all these sacrifices and do all these things, but don't have love, then it's pointless. I'm a, I'm a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. I'm just making a lot of racket, but not really producing anything good. In the end, the heart of it has to be love, love for God and love for one another. And, and part of the reason we love one another is because out of loving God, we want to please God and we know how much God loves other people. And so that is what we'll do. And that is really the heart of worship. It's this love, love for God that bleeds over into love for others. Michael, I'm wondering what you see in uh, today's passage. Yeah, I think you named a lot of it, but I think it's just like, it's one of these passages that I, when I hear and read, I'm like, mm, I don't want that to be in the Bible. Um, <laughs> I actually don't like, um, and we were joking a little about it, but it's true. It's because like, you know, even here, like it starts off with this very much like shout, like, don't be timid, tell people of their sins. And um, we don't like to hear about our sins, right? It's like, and I think what's really like, I feel like at the heart of this passage is that true worship is not about you. It's not about what you get out of it. It's not about pleasing ourselves. And I think, I think this is, you know, something that I've like had to um, examine in my own life and, and maybe perhaps others can examine too, is like even the, what Sunday worship is for, right? I think, I think a lot of times I hear like, oh, I need this sermon. I need, I need to, I need the music to really be good. I need, I need to like make sure I need to like not have my kids in service because I, I'm just too distracted. And, and it's like me, 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 me. I need this for me. And I think that's where it can become um, where it's not true worship, right? Like, I think, I think it in my, and, and I, I, and I know there's a lot of nuance in that. So I, I don't want to say it, like, I'm kind of speaking from my own of like, I can show up and just be like, oh, this is like, I need this. Um, but I often forget that like worship is actually meant to draw me outside of myself. And actually Pastor Dave Sermon was a lot about that um, this past Sunday of like, what does it look like for us to um, be drawn into someone, into someone's presence who is so like so much about others that like we see that worship, if we're really worshiping God, what that's going to do is make us be more drawn to God and what God desires. And what we see, I think, throughout scripture is God desires to free the oppressed. He desires to um, set the captives free. He desires to free us from this slavery of sin. And in the same way, I think that's what worship should, like we can show up being like, I need this, but we should be leaving worship going, okay, what can I do for others? What can I do for God? Like, how did this, how did this transform me from the inside to now being something I want to express on the outside? And you mentioned the Pharisees and that was even Jesus's biggest critique of them was like, Hey, you're doing all these things, but the inside of your cup is still dirty. And like the outside is like, you're oppressing people. You're not like, it's not, it's not a Pharisee problem. It's a human problem that I think Jesus was critical of them to like show, like to be really critical of um, to help us see, right. That we, we are in the same boat. And I, and I think that's where a passage like this is hard. Um, but I think that's the, the reckoning with reality is where then we can have like, um, transformation where God can really do work. And I think that's what worship is meant to do is to allow God to enter into, um, into who we are and transform us to want to be more like God. Yeah. When you bring up Sunday worship, I think that, uh, uh, merges nicely with the, the closing of this passage where God is brings up the Sabbath. Like, why after all of this, why does God bring up the Sabbath? Well, 
kind of the heart of the Sabbath here, he says, is don't pursue your interests on that day. Um, speak it of it as delight as the Lord's day, right? Don't follow your own desires and talk idly on that day. So the, the Sabbath is a day that allows us to, instead of worshiping ourselves, which is what all this other false religion is in the end, right? It's like we're elevating ourselves. Instead, we're to elevate God and, and elevate others. Uh, and that it would be real worship. You know, uh, someone once gave me a, a picture um, to understand kind of the way we misunderstand worship. Like you, if you ask somebody, how was service today? Usually the answer is framed within, uh, is, is given within a certain framework. And that is that that um, the people up front, the, the pastor and, and the worship leaders, they are the performers. We are the audience and God is the facilitator. And, and if we say that worship, if the service was good today, it meant that the, the people up front performed well and, and God facilitated that so that we had this wonderful experience. But really the, the depiction of what worship is supposed to be is that we are the performers. We are the one worshiping. The people up front are the facilitators. They're helping us to do that. And God is the audience. And so we need to ask the question, if worship was good or if service was good, was do you think God was pleased by worship today? How did we do as worshipers today? And that's a very different perspective than we typically have when we're kind of evaluating or, or, or sharing about a, a worship service. So again, it's, you know, it's about putting God in the center, not ourselves in the center. Uh, Michael, I'm wondering if you have any uh, final thoughts and if you'd be willing to uh, close us in prayer. I think this is certainly something we all need prayer uh, for. Yeah, I think the only final thought is like a word of encouragement that I, I absolutely love verses 10 through 12. Oh, man, what, what, what would it look like if this was who we were? Like well-watered gardens where we restore rather than destroy, where we um, are rebuilding rather than trying to like, just take everything apart. And yeah, that's what I long for the church and, and, and why I think God wants us to be true worshipers because he wants us to experience this. Um, and so I'll pray in that, that, um, in that vein, Lord, thank you for this word, though it's hard to hear. I pray that our hearts would be softened to hear it. And I pray that they'd be softened so that you can then mold us into people who are rebuilders, who are restorers, um, who want to bring your goodness and love into this world through our actions of freeing the oppressed and through by being true worshipers, ones who follow you, Jesus, and follow the ways that you served us and continue to um, be a light in this world. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today. And I ask that God would richly bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. So go in peace.